going to stop talking about that then. You don't want to talk about Cornbread? Cornbread Compton? I've the, done uh, enough. The infamous drummer. Uh, wait. Cornbread Compton, drummer. What, what's his name? Matthew Compton. Yes, yes, yes. Film, score, composer. You may know him for uh, movies such as Palm Springs 2020, uh, Mac Grubber, Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping, Better Start Running, and many more. Many, many more. What's up, guys? It's a Tangential Advisory Podcast or Tapcast, Episode 4. I'm Neil. I'm Scott. And today, for tangents, we start with uh, Matthew Compton. Uh, the only reason, I, I don't know why this came up, but he, uh, was the drummer for Cursive, the Omaha band for like one album. So you ever listen to Cursive? I know some album art from Cursive, but I actually don't know if I've listened to any Cursive. It's like, I think it's like post-punk is what it's called, but like, uh, like heavy emo might be a good way to describe it. I don't really know how else to put it. Obviously, their music's changed a lot. They're they're okay. They're all right. Uh, yeah, maybe not my sound, but yeah, not. yeah, the ugly organ. I know the I know the album art for the ugly organ. It's good cover art. Good fine cover art. I'd say it's fine, eye catching. Scott, what have you been up to this week? What have I? What have I? I've been up to nothing. Nothing new. Uh, did some more hiking yesterday. But it's been like pretty gloomy and nasty out. Like we've just had rainy days uh, for the last like nearly week straight, and I think it's going to continue into next week. So I haven't played much tennis, and with the small sort of break in rain yesterday, I went on a hike. But that is about the extent of what I've been doing outside of video games. Video games, however, been putting in some work. Well, uh, why don't we talk about that? We want to jump right into video games. I mean, I just, I'm working all the time. I'm back in the office basically every day. I don't have anything exciting about my personal life. Speak on that, Neil. I, I, (laughs) I definitely had a moment like a couple days ago where on stream I was talking about how much I disliked the work culture that we fostered during COVID. So like, uh, when, when we were actually busy in 2020 during the, during, you know, quarantine, a more major period of quarantine i think it was really beneficial for me to be working from home because i was certainly more efficient right Mm -hmm. but i don't think the majority of people work efficiently from home i think they find it as a good opportunity to uh, i don't know sit on the couch have the laptop open I, I I'm trying to I'm trying to imagine like what one would do with like a typical family life or like set up house. Obviously, the environment I live in is very different. Like, I kind of live like a college student where I have my bed right there. I have a desk here. I don't have a TV down here. That's you of live thing. in a I, basement. Yeah, exactly. There's so no windows. But uh, the only cooking implement you have is the electric kettle. You can make ramen in it. You can. You can make <laughs> you can make tea, you can go back Easy to Mac. making more ramen, yeah. I find that, you know, after I have the oriental flavor ramen, that my tea tastes particularly savory afterwards. <laughs> no, uh but, but but in general, um I think uh now that like work, well, 
after work volume has de-escalated tremendously in 2021 mm-hmm. but we're we're still as a company working from home i i went on a tangent about how i am like a hundred percent sure in fact we have evidence that people will just uh be on the clock not working and actually doing other things related to other businesses or other uh instances or activities we'll say that have like since online shopping been documented and maybe submitted to managerial uh personnel Mm. so but i i don't need to go back into that i i i love working from home excuse me i love working from home but like when i don't trust my coworkers to work from home uh sometimes i don't necessarily trust them to work in the office either it 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 presents a situation that like once it becomes safer to work from the office i'm going to be glad because people will be held more accountable for actually doing their work yeah so that's my soapbox moment that's my ted talk thank you for coming uh my name's neil my name's neil and i think my uh co-workers should work harder that's right. What it, I am a part of the uh, professional managerial class. It, it certainly is like something that I feel. Uh, I mean, like I should be worrying about myself, but I think this maybe stems back to the whole thing where, like, we're always so secretive about like what uh, what we get paid, and we don't talk about it. We're, we're at least we're not supposed to talk about it. I tend to be very open with my coworkers you, yeah. about what I make. Um, yep, you can talk about it. Your employer can't talk about it if they're a private employer. But right. I've, since I worked predominantly, like since my very first professional job was in academia, in which case I could look up the the pay, the salary of every single person I worked with. Um, I thought that was a much better structure because I could see like, these are not only my expectations on what I could be paid or what I could aim to be paid if i took a particular role or position but also knowing like uh, against my peers you know am i making roughly the same or more or less and then if i know the quality of my work and their work you know is it fair or does it make sense to me that i'm making more or less or about the same exactly and which I think is great. I think it gives a lot of worker power in that situation. Well, um, I, and that's, of course, why private industry hates that shit. And it's certainly like, I, maybe, maybe this is a downside to it, but it certainly lights a fire under my ass when I know people are getting rewarded for like, not doing work and mm-hmm. are, uh, are, are essentially you know, receiving higher degrees of merit, better pay or equal pay when they yep. put in less work and less effort. So. I won't get super high on my own soapbox in any way, but I will definitely say that since the last time I had a review, like, luckily, I've been very fortunate in my career that every review has more or less been like, thumbs up, you're doing great, keep doing that, or or better. Um, but with my last one, it was just like, thumbs up, you're doing great, keep doing that. And uh, there was... That like the financial compensation was not necessarily equivalent to the effort or input put in, in my perspective or opinion. They're just like, oh, I'm going above and beyond like what my position requires. I should stop doing that. I'm not getting paid for it. You know, one of those things. So that's also nice to know too, where it's just like, oh, you know, I'm doing say so and so's job for them. I'm not going to get paid what you know. I'm not going to get paid a little chunk of what 
taking over that worker responsibility is i should stop doing that wait, wait did um, you actually discuss that to your manager as well then i don't think you tell your employer like i'm i'm withdrawing my efforts in this area um but i do think you make that mental calculation where it's just like Ah yes, well, um, I'm certainly uh, giving them a lot of a lot of freebies here that I probably shouldn't. Gotcha. But you only found out about that and the expectations for your work in that review. I take it. It was one of those things where it's like, um, not to get like super deep into it, but it's one of those things in which it's like, okay, so if I meet all my expectations, I go above and beyond. There should be some sort of like recognition or award of that. And then that recognition and award is like, hey, we see that. And I'm like, oh, cool. That's it, though? Is that it? <laughs> Nothing? You just, well, I don't need, I just want, you know, if, if you're just going to say you see it, like, that's cool, but I don't have to do it. Then you don't have to see it, and we're all happy, and I'm still making the same. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I, had, I had a very One similar thing happen, too. So. One of those things. It was just like, you know, I'm a, I, I'll, I'll literally make I'll make a new level of responsibilities and position for myself. And if you're willing to pay me for it, I'll continue to, uh, you know, like really ace it. And it's like, and if I'm actually, you know, still, if I'm sitting in the same position that I was before I did all that, maybe I should just sort of, uh, sort of calm down and, and return, return to status quo. Yep. 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 Working, working sucks. I mean, Dude, it's fun. Capitalism. It's, good. it's fun to work, but the reimbursement of one's time and efforts is maybe not the yeah. most fair thing in the world today. Capitalism doesn't feel good. It does not feel good at all. What are you suggesting, Scott? <laughs> no, all right, all right. Putting that aside, video game talk. Yeah, let's talk video games. I, I want to hear um, it about something you're passionate about. Like, you know, you're something that you enjoy, something that you love, something that you're really, really into. Okay, well, we're going back to the work top. No, I'm just kidding. I don't, I don't give a shit. Uh, <laughs> uh, video games. You know what I love? You know what I didn't realize how much I loved it? I love Resident Evil. I just think all the Resident Evil games I've played, I've got a real soft spot for. I think 7 was fine. And I'm pretty much on record for saying like, oh, that was a good experience. Probably the scariest Resident Evil I've played. Uh, too many mold monsters. Very weird sort of balancing between feeling like it was oppressively sort of threatening and difficult in the early stages to just like mostly a pushover that I didn't like. I didn't actually commit to full force because the game had originally trained me to be incredibly hesitant to engage in combat and not make every single shot or decision perfect. Because if I didn't do that, then it was going to be absolutely um, impossible. That, that's and actually then, a good you know, point. Yeah. Yeah. The, the game trains you to not to literally like reject what you're doing in the second half of the game when you're more on the power trip because it is so different in the first stages. Meanwhile, Resident Evil Village or RE8 is wait before before you keep going I I just want to ask are we going into spoiler it? territory have you finished it are we opening up the floodgates no, I have not finished it um if you want 
to not spoil anything, I can tell you that I have uh, essentially put there's there's like a lock in the game, Neil, that you'd be familiar with if you've played pretty much any at all that requires sort of four objects. Does that sound right? Yeah, I, I'm okay with talking about everything. I just want to make sure we set up the boundaries here. Like, I don't want to spoil it for listeners yet because I think I'll finish it this week and then okay. we can talk then spoilers can. next week. Yeah. Um, and then I think we were going to talk about Omori last week, but it was too late. So we could also do some yeah. Omori talk to sort of satisfy the additional airtime in between. But before we do that, we can talk about Resident Evil 8, how it plays, how it compares to 7 so far, at least. Like, how in the very early stages of the game there is the umbrella corporation symbol in this old ass town and uh that hasn't been satisfied for me yet in the story but i'm just like huh that's weird is umbrella corporation medieval like <laughs> how I, far back do they go i i immediately had flashbacks to or not flashbacks but the first thing i thought about was assassin's creed and the templars yeah yeah exactly it was just like oh i didn't realize uh umbrella corporation was founded in uh like 8000 bc uh <laughs> it's like great and Perfect. we're going to find cave paintings of the umbrella core logo uh yeah but anyway long story short there is there is a lock in the game that is definitely, I think, to some degree, a progress indicator, sort of a, a diegetic progress bar, in which you know that, like, as you insert each sort of uh, each sort of item that you need to into the lock, you're getting closer and closer to the end game, a- and the game is distributed into like four distinct sort of like areas, quadrants, you could say, with. I'll use the loose term bosses because bosses, it, there, there are essentially leaders for each one of these areas, though they don't necessarily occupy that boss format completely where it's like run in, kill this person, uh, get key item from them. Like I think they actually do a good job in being sort of creative on how you, accept, how you access each key item, um, which is nice. That's not to say that there isn't the satisfying sort of like boss style fight that happens in each area but um the way that each one approach the way that each one is approached is unique and that is satisfying in its own way as well it feels like you don't actually know the format of what type of area you're in um until you've like gotten into the middle of it and are on the like explore slash escape function of it and also one minor critique about the game is I don't think you can actually return to these uh, these unique areas after you've left them. So if you've accidentally missed something, it's sort of tough luck, it seems. You know, in the way that Resident Evil 4, once you get through the village, you never return to the village. Uh, that makes sense or when you leave the castle in re4 you can't return to the castle but the difference is is re4 has this sort of cinematic linear progression in areas while there is a central sort of hub world or location in re8 that makes it seem a little weird that like you go into an area and then it's locked off forever because of the consequences of your actions of going into the area to be once again incredibly general but um Overall, the thing that I want to really like laud this game for is I think a direct like improvement or 
sort of like learned uh, approach from Resident Evil 7 is this game immediately is just like you're going in, you're going up against not a bunch of like slow, creepy, super generic and tiresome mold men, but all these different sort of like gothic uh, vampire werewolf style horrors. You know, you're facing all these gothic horror beasts. And because of that, um, you're going to be better equipped than the previous Resident Evil. And the combat's going to feel a lot more action-packed and dynamic from the very start. And it also is very freeform on just sort of like, am I supposed to fight off everything here? Am I supposed to run? Like, it's, it's actually letting you make that choice in the moment where you feel like, I feel for a beginner... For someone who's not particularly versed with games, there may be some times where this is a negative, where you're encountering something where you're just like, I just can't kill this guy. And it turns out because you need to like turn around and run away or find some other sort of environmental solution as opposed to just like shooting at them. Which I think you get over if you die maybe once or twice from that confusion. But overall, it does make it feel like very organic decision-making is being done from event to event in the game and i like that a lot but it it leans so much heavier on sort of action-packed stuff like i had a fight with sort of a horde of enemies on several occasions and the most recent horde fight i was just like this is like this is great i am just going to keep popping heads and sort of running around this battlefield like ethan winters has gone from being uh literally just like the guy you called to remove the black mold from uh your basement because it's making you feel um, a little uneasy about the structural integrity of your home to uh, straight up like special ops. Um, I can't remember. Is it stars agent? It feels like, yeah, he just immediately becomes a stars agent in between resident evil seven and resident evil eight. So from the very start, he just has a, he has a pistol and then a shotgun. And like, as these weapons progress, it was like, oh, these are, this is not your makeshift flamethrower from Resident Evil 7. It was like, this is the uh, sort of like drum style shotgun from Resident Evil 4 again. Like, it, it's way more action heavy and that feels really good. And it does not stop the game from being scary because there are multiple times where the game decides to really shift the power balance where you feel like, oh shit, Ethan is highly equipped for dealing with like, mob enemies or sort of weaker weaker fights but these like these bigger confrontations um are still very very threatening and it it does that great job of just tipping the scales where you go from being on a power trip to all of a sudden realizing your like weakness instantaneously again what as someone that's played resident evil 4 it, it certainly feels like the game took a very intentional turn from from like uh, two yeah from resident evil 7 which is you know more of like a modernized classic uh resident evil game if that makes sense in terms of like design in terms of i think mood and feel uh mm -hmm. to straight up it's like re-envisioning resident evil uh resident evil 4 uh but following the 7 storyline if you will or continuing that um yeah it, I, I would say that it, it's like more gamey and by that I mean like it feels more like a video game than 7 does like there's a shop there uh, are there are upgrades that did are you, not just item based yeah did you get the um, did you get the little easter egg where the duke says 
what are you buying? What are you selling? Something a friend of mine used to say. Yeah. Uh, love it. Abs- you know, just uh, a real knee slapper. Enjoyed that moment. I was not expecting it, but truly will always be my favorite line. That It's the first thing I think of when I think of Resident Evil is, you know, fucking trench coat guy just being like, I've got a heat-seeking uh, mine gun in my coat here. You want to try it? And then, like, as soon as you throw the rocket launcher on Leon's shoulder, like, you realize it's as tall as him, basically, and yet somehow it fit right inside his uh, trench coat neatly. Yeah, yep. <laughs> it's it's in, that, in that trench coat. And also the, uh, shit, the other stuff, I don't remember this being in Resident Evil 7, but it's also possible that I just missed it or was completely ignorant. Um, but once again, back to uh, you can kill birds to get money, which feels bad, but they do it. They do the, if, you kill, if you kill the birds, you make the money. You make the money back. So it's always worth the bullet to shoot some poor raven and steal the like, coins off of its carcass. But there's that, and then there's these bird cages that are just sort of hanging around that you can shoot for them to drop loot as well and then all of these little sort of like sparkling flashing crystals very similar once again to resident evil 4 where if you train your gun on it and you shoot this object that's out of reach it will fall and you can pick it up uh i love that i that's one of my favorite little mechanics and the addition i don't remember when in the resident evil series they added this but on your map going from red to blue from explored completely to like there's still something around here it's so nice because i'm not a huge completionist in these games but it is important to have as much money as possible especially with the shop system like this where it's like weapons are becoming available in the story or just straight up being like available for purchase in the later stages that you're just like oh shit yes i want this big expensive gun and when you think about like uh when you think about the lore of the uh resident evil universe as a whole maybe this just sets up more uh more more canon theory that uh birds when they die in resident evil actually decompose into bullets and sometimes gold Mm -hmm. (laughs) Or, or sometimes grenades I actually don't know if we saw a single like explosive, like a grenade or something dropped from a uh, from a bird when we played it. Like we saw, I think bullets and then like treasure, you know, the the common I, crystals and such. But I think I only ever got uh, gold. But but so you you ask yourself the question: Why would there be ammo or these treasures inside of bird cages hoisted up? Obviously not. They were birds and they died. You know, from birds collect from them, starving. Though. Yeah. Or, or they just died, and then they decomposed into those things. So when you shot down the cage, which was obviously probably closed up and shut, you are you're picking up their body, effectively decomposed to bullets, ammunition, whatever. Or uh, you're, thre- or you're threatening that I'm actually just taking bird bones and putting them in my in my pistol. I mean, <laughs> I'm you firing could... hollow, dusty bones at zombies, and they're doing so much damage. A shrapnel. You, you, you could be in this game in this instance when like. In the world worth drop, you know, pouring chemical on yourself is like a cure-all. Yeah, it is great. Uh, the only time that it really actually makes any sense is uh, there's this point where Ethan can take damage from what is more like acidic burns, and then you can pour it on. And it's like, oh yeah, like a salve. 
that makes sense. Every other time, though, it's like, oh, I bit my neck. Dump it on my hand. <laughs> <laughs> just, just lovely. You know, I enjoy that sort of environmental response to healing that I, I can't remember the exact innovator, but I know you can give credit to like the early Far Cry games where it was like, if you got damage of a particular type, you'd like normally respond with some sort of thing happening on your hands or your body that you could see that was generally relevant. Like if you burned your hand, you'd wrap the burn. Or if you got a shot, you'd like pull a bullet out or something like that. Don't look at chat, Scott. Um, Okay, I'm not looking at chat. Uh, I You're looking at chat, to... Scott. Okay, I know, I know. Uh... <laughs> okay. When we talk about like environments or environmental, like situational damage, they, they didn't necessarily apply it through gameplay as well. But I also think of like Metal Gear Solid 3, where. Uh... Yeah, Metal Gear Solid 3, where you spin yourself till you puke or you. Yeah. You have to, you like, like, pull the leeches your off of your body. Yeah. Metal Gear Solid 3's healing menu is one of my... It is one of my favorite things I've interacted with in a game. Just as, like, this is a mechanic I had never seen before. And honestly, we've never really seen again. And uh, I do really miss that, actually. I also wish that there were more cutscenes that triggered of Snake eating different foods. Because I loved him just, like, stripping a python with his bare teeth. Uh, that was cool shit to me. Or, uh, wait, there, there wasn't one for like ramen or uh, uh, calorie mates, were there? There might be, but I don't remember. Wait, do six heal you in Metal Gear Solid? No. I thought they, they hurt you. I know you can use them on the they, leeches, though. Yeah, you can use cigs on the leeches, or cigars, I guess, in that case, because uh, the real the real big boss, he's a cigar man. Um, but you could in the later games restore like the psyche or whatever by using um cigarettes or whatnot, and it may help with. I'm trying to think oh. of all the things it helps with. There were other meters or bars outside of the health bar that it helped with, but I do believe the penalty or punishment is that it would slowly tick off health. Like, can you use it to steady your aim in MGS1? Yeah, yeah, it's something like that. Like, they do help with aim stabilization. And then when, you know, MGS3 went crazy with sort of all of that medical stuff, like, you could get, like, diazepam directly. Like, you could literally take a drug to steady your aim and whatnot. Um, but the cigarettes have always had these fun little, like, secret bo boons and buffs. Like the uh, uh, laser... Um instead of using uh thermal goggles you could use uh cigarettes to tell when like there was a laser trap or something tripwire that's I guess right yeah yep um goodness metal gear solid what a game i've i've always thought about going back to finish up five but there have been so many other things on on my radar like the nonary games which i've also been playing yeah how uh how yeah. is your trip through uh uh, those nine hours been it's been good i haven't really gotten too much further i just played a little bit before we got on and i'm currently working on sort of a two-room puzzle where one room i think more or less mirrors the other so i need to it looks like i need to put some ceramic tiles right now into a sort of like uh frame 
and then I don't know what happens next with that. But I'm still I'm still with June and then uh, Lotus and Santa. I, I love that. Who hates lovers? I, I love how he names himself Santa. Like Santa Claus. And then it's like if you have no knowledge of Japanese, it's kind of confusing, right? Mm hmm. Yeah. Wait. San. Santa. What? No. Um, have you have you had to bust out the digital root calculator yet? No, because I'm good at it. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah, no, no. It's it's all easy mental math. It is but pretty like, easy. But they I do... also do it a lot, which I I do appreciate in the fact that like if a teenager picked up this game or something, if they hadn't like really worked with that sort with manipulating numbers in that way before, this game is like very much sort of doing some hand holding at the start. Yeah, where it's repeating it over and over, but doing it with like different examples that are very useful like the the idea is is if you tell me the same thing three or four times and it's all pretty much the same context i'm going to be like shut up let's move forward but in this case it does seem like they're sort of showing more and more complex ways that you're doing this combination of digital roots and so i'm like okay that's fine if you want to talk about it but i think i get it, it it's funny just i i like how they have the calculator in there i think i honestly think it's one of those things where they're like well no one actually needs to use this but look at what you can do on the DS. Because, you know, originally mm-hmm. a DS game. Mm-hmm. You, you got a calculator here. Look at this. Fascinating. I'll, I'll uh, forever have, like, a curio- uh, some sort of curiosity behind, like, the development of those DS games and how much people just put things into them to satisfy the urge of having special features for, uh, for the touchscreen. Because that's mm-hmm. kind of what that feels like. But... Uh... Outside of uh, nonary games, though, so if you haven't if you haven't made too much progress there, what else have you been uh, playing? Well, yeah, Resident Evil Eight and the nonary games are actually all I've been playing. Oh, okay. I put in a lot of time on Resident Evil Eight. So if we do like this is not spoiler territory, but um, <clears throat> I have I have encountered uh, the location that uh, Heisenberg is in which the introduction to Heisenberg happens fairly early on in the game. You know, that's like two hours into the game or so you're, you're aware of this character. So I finally got into sort of where Heisenberg resides and, um, process pretty, I think I'm pretty much done with it. It seems like I'm at the point of leaving Heisenberg's lair, if that's any indicator of where I'm at. So I feel like I'm on the end game. I'm near. I feel like I'm closer to the end of the game, but it's hard to tell because with these games, they could throw in a twist pretty easily that adds a whole nother sort of segment or something to do. While we're on this topic, then back on Resident Evil Eight for a second, I can I can talk about like my experience uh, without getting into spoiler territory either for that right. matter. Because you said Tiff made you play a really scary part, and there was something that I did in the second area or with the second sort of boss that uh, was horrifying. Really hated it. it it's Awful. the one sequence where you can hide inside a closet, right? That's exactly yep. it. Was that yeah. it? Was Fuck that, that the scary Fuck part? part? It was so scary. I uh, I never even failed at it, but it's because my fear of failure was so intense. It was just like. I can't let this happen. I don't want to see it. It's the same way that when I played uh, Dead Space 
I think Dead Space 2 and you have to insert this needle in your eye. It was like, I refuse to fail at this because I can't actually handle the consequences of what I see afterward. Yep. The, uh, well, b- before, before we touch onto that part, I, I wanted to note specifically that like Tiff and I were passing out the controller a bunch or not even a bunch. I would say I maybe played like 15 to 20% of this game. The rest was her. Uh, she was also on like a really, like th- this game at least on normal, definitely wasn't too difficult because she had, like, some disadvantages that definitely screwed with uh, her play style. Like, um, without going into detail, like, because I'm at a desk and, you know, with monitors and such, it's not ideal to share the same space and be able to look at one monitor, especially if one person's trying to stay off camera. Mm -hmm. Uh, Although we didn't have a camera up the whole time, but it's still, like, really hard to, like, coordinate. Having two gamer chairs together, and gamer chairs obviously have the the big arms it's just not not ideal uh but, oh yeah uh, quick tangent throwing in the tangent here chat what kind of gamer chair should i get when i up when i upgrade don't don't get a gamer chair it's that simple don't, what do you have, you well, have i've, I've got one too i i got it on like a steep discount from like a mass my buyer. my office chair is crumbling beneath me though i do need a new chair like if, i can't keep using this one if you, I mean, wouldn't it be better just to buy like a good office chair? Like, go and get like a. I mean, okay, you know what? This has probably, probably been regurgitated so many times now, but like, you could probably go out and get like a used Aaron Miller. Uh, wait, wait, Herman Miller, Aaron, or like a steel case chair. I mean, there are alternatives to those that are not nearly as expensive either. Okay. But those are going to be way better for your back and such. Which, I mean, as I'm adjusting my back right now, that if that goes to show you anything. Um, oh, right. Um, so we, we were handing out the controller, and I, I only played portions of it. But like before we talk about that terrifying part, there was another terrifying, at least to me, part that definitely came right out of the page of uh, Resident Evil 4. Like one of the earliest, uh, we'll say, um, God, what... What do you call it? Uh, when it's just like a plethora of enemies coming at you. Horde? Yeah, like the first horde situation. Or swarm, I yeah, guess. Yeah, the swarm. There we go. That That's straight oh, up. Oh, shit. Uh, I know exactly what you're talking about. It, it's really reminiscent of Resident Evil 4, the village cutscene where, you know, you. Uh, it, it's really like the introduction to the game, it feels like, because before then you're taking on Ganado's one or two at a time and in this situation there's 20 and a chainsaw guy and and you find yourself in a sandbox situation as you do in a village in this portion where you can run around and do all sorts of fun things fun things excuse me there's even a ladder at one point that i didn't realize the first time i played that though i just like instantly panicked and i i was you know i i just had uh i had just been given the the reins to the the game right before that starts so I didn't so. want to, you know, I didn't want to like disappoint, use up too much ammo and such, but I end up using all of my ammo trying to survive, end up dying at one point. Uh, and it's not until I do the second attempt that I even realize there's a fucking shotgun just hanging out on a table. Yep. Yep. I failed the first time and then I found the shotgun. And I was like, oh, this is Resident Evil 4. <laughs> it, a really fun part, although I'm also terrified uh, at the same time the uh mm-hmm. the scary moment quote-unquote in that particular house that we were just talking about though yeah i i don't think i hit like a game over 
or a, a failure state, but it it was so effective at like at putting you in a situation where like you could see the things coming ahead of you. You could see what dangers lie in front of you. Like they're very telegraphed, and yet that doesn't belittle the amount of fear that Stress. Is, yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the game has you. The game ha- like essentially shows you that you need to get a fuse in one part, S- like some slight spoilers. Uh, but in order to get that fuse, you have to take it out from another part of the uh, a-, a part of the house, which would effectively mean taking away your light source. Mm-hmm. So it-, it it's like it's such an effective way of of illustrating like a self imposed stress. Like it's something that you know you have to do, but you are but you don't want to, and and you're the one actively needing to put yourself in the situation in order to progress. Like I, yeah. I don't know, I, I'm a huge fan of of that that big, type of uh, scenario. Big kudos to that scenario in particular because it's another sort of uh, demonstration of a a learned choice in how they developed it. Because there was a fuse swap that happened in Resident Evil Seven. But it didn't seem like there was actually any consequence to picking up the fuse except for maybe, uh, you know, spawning some more mold men off screen, which is not the same as the active choice or event of I remove fuse and bad thing happens and I should have or have already expected or anticipated that consequence. If you're just spawning more enemies off screen or something, or it like triggers sort of a cutscene or not cutscene, but you know, it triggers some sort of event that is not an environmental event as much as just like an escalation of enemies or danger. Uh, it doesn't feel, it doesn't feel the same way as like choosing to switch off the lights in, you know, the obviously haunted house does. Right. Like it, it, it fits if it's the theming of the situation in a way that, you know, just adding more enemies or causing like a horde of monsters to come and attack you feels more gamey and less thematic, less mm-hmm. uh, cinematic, you could even say. Speaking of cinematic, if we're good on Resident Evil for now, since we'll get more talk tomorrow. Um, or I next was week, you mean? Just, yeah, next week. No, uh, we're transitioning to the daily podcast format, right? That's the lucrative one. Oh, God. <laughs> uh but no, I, actually, speaking of cinematic, there is a game that I did not play, but I watched uh, I watched some play of it for a couple hours yesterday called Abzu, which is old. It is sort of a walking simulator, but it takes place underwater. And it is just a really sort of gorgeous and environmental game. Like, it just has a good mood to it. Um, it's just a ton of exploration of these like underwater environments with lots and lots of fish and some sort of environmental storytelling that's happening. Similar to, I think, Journey, a game I have not played, but I have read a lot about and, and seen plenty of, where your only agency is really mobility through the space, and then all of the storytelling is done sort of through uh, things that you see that are like pictographic or um, you know, are demonstrated through some environmental st- storytelling of how you move through the space. But it's just a really serene experience. I, I was watching it for maybe an hour, hour and a half. Then I fell asleep because the music was so peaceful and it was, you know, like it was really pretty on the eyes, but all the blue light was not enough to save me from my tiredness. Then I woke up later and it was still 
still going on a little bit. And I thought, wow, this is a very relaxing game. Like I could definitely see just sort of putting in, if it weren't for all the blue light, you know, putting an hour into it before bed, just to sort of wind down at the end of a day. So you're saying you're not going to get jump scared by some sort of there was a shark jump scare, but it didn't really scare me that much. I was just like, oh, shark, why would you do this? You've eaten one of my aquatic drones. And by one of mine, I mean the person who was actually playing. I was not. It, was it even meant to be a scare, so to speak? Is is the game actually just meant to be chill and rela- it relaxing? A, or Yeah, I think it's meant to be chill and relaxing. Uh, it was a surprise, though. Like, definitely jarring in the moment but otherwise like it it does have sort of that eeriness or spookiness that just comes from deep water like the game is also this progression like you're starting at the surface of the ocean and you're slowly going deeper and deeper and sometimes you're coming out at just like different points in this ocean little reefs or shallows but the progress is definitely definitely gearing you towards moving deeper and deeper and so like the point where we stopped, we were talking like hatchet fish and angler fish and other bioluminescent things and giant squid were around because we are getting close to the sea floor, like a deep sea floor. So I feel like that has to be more than halfway through. Gotcha. J- just at, mm-hmm. just curious because like I I think uh, I'm almost physically unable to play certain underwater games that play into suspense or not really even horror, but like if we're talking about, uh, uh, oh my God, uh, Subnautica. I don't know if you've seen that before. Uh, I've seen a little bit of gameplay. It's like, maybe not to the same degree, but I would say it's, it's kind of like dark underwater yeah, is what exactly. my brain was always thinking, but, but probably better. Probably doesn't feel so sluggishly slow. Bob asks, what about Soma? Um, I'm I'm okay with Soma just because it's like you're not worrying about your oxygen. You're not worrying about your food. It, it, it's it's effectively the all of the elements of Subnautica together with uh uh with the horror elements. Or it, it's not even horror, but it's it's like the 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 organic feel that a big monster could be after you at any point in time. Soma is kind of a little more scripted. I'm not saying I want to be scared of Soma, mind you. And Soma gets even scarier when you factor in other elements of the game. But, like, it's more scripted and more controlled, I feel like. But Have you played Soma, Scott? No. I think Sierra might have played Soma, but I they haven't really talked about their playthrough. That's uh, not the type of game I would have. I would want to talk about after playing. Like if that, not that it's a bad game, so to speak. It's just, it's the type of story that you you take, and you take in, you swallow it, and then you just kind of like Soma. You sort of wait to forget about you. You sort of wait until you never remember it, and, and uh, until it never comes up in your mind again. <laughs> that sort of thing. It's huh. not bad. It's just a different kind of story. But that's my personality type specifically, though. Um, mm-hmm. I, I'm reluctant to talk about a couple games I've been playing. I, I will say the uh, of the good, I beat uh, Xenoblade Chronicles. 
I think that game is like fantastic. I feel like Wait, that. I thought I just saw you playing it earlier. So I beat the proper story, so to speak, and they added like a second chapter to it or like an epilogue. And oh. it, it's straight up like the crisis is over and now this is just kind of, you know, we, we had 12 episodes contracted and we accidentally finished in 11 episodes. So this episode is about us doing a doing a thing that is obviously putting us in danger, but obviously not uh, not like as pressing. Um, but Xenoblade Chronicles, I think, is like the perfect sort of RPG uh, for that extended binge, like like People the Final like Fantasy Seven, the Six, the 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 thing that like if I were on Christmas vacation or summer break or whatever as a kid, like this was the perfect game for me to have played back then, so to speak. It's a little Just hard. all to, at once? Yeah, all at once. There's a shit ton of content. There's a lot of world building. The story is very dramatic. There's a great conclusion to it. Character, uh, or I already, already mentioned characters, but like there, there's a little bit of everything for you in it. It's a big adventure, so it gives you a sense of travel and exploration, which is, I think, really beneficial when we're talking about that that staycation, so to speak, that you, you would have occasionally as a kid where it's like, all right, the mm-hmm. family's not going anywhere. I've got two weeks off from school. I'm going to get a sense of adventure. Uh, I'm through... going to play a thousand hours of Fallout. Yeah. Yeah. Effectively. Yeah. Um, I, I don't, I, I don't really want to get into like the, the details or anything of it, but I just wanted to say that that game's like, like just solid all across the board. The game looks great. Even I, I think it's the type of, situation where you can tell it's a remaster or remake in some scenarios we'll say Mm -hmm. uh like so it's a lot of like meh uh shapes but like the textures on them aren't necessarily great either they're improved but like it's just the way things are arranged and organized on the screen that makes the game look pretty it's the sky it's the sky boxes it's the arrangement of the fauna and life within the world that makes it look feel populated uh even though it's like really not that dense compared to other games um mm-hmm. but it, overall like effective uh characters are all likable um the characters that you know you use on your team are all likable you grow attachment and fond to like every character even if you have preferences for some over others i just like a well executed rpg at the end of, end of the day uh, meanwhile, I finished uh, Jin Conception as well. I don't know how much I want to talk about that game, but that just turned out to be a giant dumpster fire. Um, and I, I left a review on Steam, and the developer replied to the review, and I had to like edit my review to reply back to the de- developer, and they, in turn, edited their reply twice. <laughs> And how'd that go? Uh, the, the best part of the review is something like, I was expecting too much. Oh no! Or I mean, not my review, but the their response to me is maybe you were expecting too much or something like that. Not oh, verbatim. Damn, but, that's uh, so good though. <laughs> what do you want? <laughs> what do you want? Like a well told story. But the the funny part though is that like I think as a result of uh, many people having some criticisms for the game, uh, the developer went in and added like a couple lines of dialogue at the very start of the game, and then like. Don't expect too much. Well, at, <laughs> so, so the game, like many others, has like a uh, uh, what? What is it? The cold open is—is is that what you you would call it when uh, it just kind of just, just starts? Yeah, 
And you, you weren't given much information at the start of the game, which I don't think is a problem at all, where you, you, you start with three characters that you don't end up really seeing or interacting with until later on, uh, which, again, I think is perfectly fine. It kind of reminds me of, like, Lufia, for instance, has a great opening where Lufia, it's a super traditional Japanese RPG fi- uh, fantasy setting. You start off with three char- or four characters, excuse me, basically on their way to save the world, right? And mm-hmm. you don't know a whole lot of context but you go and save the world and uh stuff happens people die etc cetera, etc cetera, and then you get brought into the actual story of the game like you find out that that was like in the past a hundred years yada yada you you play as like the descendants of some of the heroes that's that's the perfect time for the backstory to kind of get introduced right you open mm-hmm. up with action it, it's a hook and then it allows you to transition into like the exposition afterwards well in Jin chronicles uh the the developer i think in response to the criticism of having like not having much direction what they did was they basically put the steam description of the game into the very opening so like instead of having that like that that perfectly acceptable cold open there's now like a dialogue box once the screen opens up or the map opens up with the three characters where they, they basically say, or the, the dialogue box basically says, Jin Chronicles is a story about nine characters whose stories intertwine. And it's, it's very much like, why are you giving me a pitch right here now? Uh, and then um, immediately afterwards, after you get through that cold open section, if you will, uh, and you fast forward just a little bit to the presumably like sort of the main focal character, the character you spend the most amount of time with, uh the the game like for that little bit of exposition or that little bit of direction that people want mm-hmm. the game just says with no context jen is in fairy village it's like i don't know who jen is i still don't know what the hell who what my character's name even is if i don't go into the menu system i wouldn't know what their names i wouldn't know what their desire is i have no motivation to go and find this jen character either for that matter i just have a message from the omnipotent game developer saying jen is in the fairy village it's a it's a time it's a time conception that's kind of a bummer it has such a cool concept but uh what what can i say i i I also again i i i want to i want to say some positive things about it too like i think i think there's interesting elements to the battle system um there's there's a lot of design behind like synergies between abilities and uh abilities arts gin techs i guess is what they call them uh Mm -hmm. and like different status effects uh the artwork is cool the music is pretty solid overall we were listening to it like before the podcast opens uh just feels like a lack of like bug testing and uh qa and then like a lack of cohesive storytelling just sort of runs the game remarkably short but mm-hmm. I don't think I've got really much else to talk about in terms of uh, games, though. Uh, I'm going to start Yakuza 7 or Yakuza Like a Dragon next week. That will be fun. It, it's going to be a JRPG, but in a modern context. And I think it's going to have, from what I understand, some satirical aspects of it. Uh, wait, I mean, I, I don't need to repeat anything that I've already said before, but I'm looking forward to it. It's obviously going to have the side quests that make you know the Yakuza series as a whole. Uh, hilarious and enjoyable looking forward to it i hope there's some mention or some aspect of idol or not idol um of uh hostess or host club management. host club stuff 
uh, I was actually watching Geez Like just before I started streaming to the host club stuff or hostess club stuff. The Cabaret Club, excuse me. Uh, and Yakuza Kiwami too, and that looked fantastic. Um, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. I'm, I've got high hopes for it. I do want to give, actually, realizing I didn't talk about it uh, at the beginning, I do just want to give a shout out to the mountain biker who had every right to run me over yesterday on the trail I was hiking. Uh, I was totally spacing out uh, on the hike, just like absentmindedly talking to the person I was hiking with. And this guy's coming down the trail, and I literally do not clock him for like 50 feet, which is pretty impressive because most trails, you don't have that kind of visibility for a mountain biker coming down with the speed they're going at. This guy just goes, whoop, whoop. <laughs> no bell or like, hey, watch out, run. He's like, boop. And I look boop, up boop. and just like nearly dive out of the way. <laughs> and as he passed, I was like, sorry, it's <laughs> facing out there. But truly, he was in his right to run me over and kill me if he wanted to, because I was not exercising proper trail safety. But the little boop boop was probably the thing that has made my entire week every time I think about it. Kind of him. Very charming man, yeah. He might have been like festering up huge amounts of rage, and that was the only way he could communicate his... uh... No, he he seemed really good about it. I was truly, completely like unaware of my surroundings because it i was you know hiking with someone on a very very active trail and so it's one of those like oh i don't have to have my wits about me like there's not going to be bears or bobcats or any sort of wildlife that i need to be aware of so i'm all good um which is different from a lot of the hiking i do where i'm just like head on a swivel all the time looking around uh this this was the laziest and most oblivious i've ever hiked and uh i almost paid for it with my life have you uh have you ever witnessed like an animal that you would deem to be dangerous while on a hike? And when I say this, I don't mean like across the ravine you see a bear. I mean like within 100 feet, have you come across a bear or I've been within 50 feet of a black bear and her cubs, which is not great, but there was a river between us, but that river would not stop the bear. Like that was shallow water. That bear could cross that water literally the same as crossing regular land. So that was one of those where like we were looking for somewhere to fish. I was much younger and it was just like, okay, we're not doing here. We turn around immediately, you know? Wait, I thought you're not supposed to show your back to the bear. Well, if the bear's not paying attention to you and you oh, can hustle, yeah. you, you can get the hell out of there instead. But yeah, yeah. I mean, you should you should get big you should not uh you know turn your back to the bear you should like slowly back up and whatnot but if you just like if you spot the mother bear and it doesn't look like it's looking at you and you can turn around and start uh quick stepping out of there i don't see why that's not a a bad move either do we do we want to talk about time sort of hiking do we want to talk about uh stay at home orders because i don't think that's actually a thing anymore and I, I mean, it, we don't we don't even have mask mandates that are legal anymore for Missoula. Like our governor revoked it, and we're yeah. probably going to be the first state to remove the unemployment benefits as well. Uh, are you sure? I think we might be racing. We probably are racing. Our shitty bald governors just like neck and neck on making uh, reckless decisions. Why has it got to be about being bald? Damn it! 
I, I think I'm allowed to sling as much mud at bald people as I want. No, you are, but you, you have to be part of the bald alliance, all right? You have to no, represent. Those, those guys are evil, man. <laughs> God damn it. Give me my hair back. <laughs> I don't deserve this. Yeah. Uh, people are still being okay about it around town, but I mean, we're talking like... And that's the other thing, too, is... In my situation, right, like I'm fully vaccinated. Everybody in my immediate household is fully vaccinated. We all probably had COVID as well. So like there's really you're not you don't have much better defense than those already. But I still wear a mask out in public because there is also the fact that I have a uh, like brand new infant nephew. And it's I think it's the better calculation that people out in the world don't get to see my face. So I can also have that like completely locked down, like airtight protection from uh, coronavirus transmission. So my like baby nephew who can maybe see like 10 feet in front of him can see my face from time to time. Isn't it uh, also, th- this is something that I haven't looked into myself or read up on because it's, I've, kind of entered the mentality that like why not just keep wearing a mask it doesn't bother me um but can you not still contract and spread coronavirus with the vaccine because i believe oh sorry it's very rare from from what the cdc uh is saying uh it seems to be a very very sort of rare circumstance that if you're fully vaccinated and you're exposed to the coronavirus that you will contract coronavirus and then also be able to transmit it. Like even in the case of people who are vaccinated contracting the coronavirus, the most recent CDC data is essentially saying like, it's still much harder for the virus to jump from person to person if that person is vaccinated. Like you'll have more likely an asymptomatic uh, infection and that asymptomatic infection seems to uh, make you less likely to spread the coronavirus. That being said, it seemed like asymptomatic people had a fine time spreading the coronavirus at the beginning of the pandemic. So it's yeah. one of those things where, like, even with my sort of comfort in interpreting the information provided, it's just like, well, better safe than sorry. And I don't give a shit at this point. Like, the mask is not inconvenient to me in any way. Right. So there's no reason to not do it. But when I'm like outdoors in the open air, I mean, it's all it's mass free at this point, unless I'm in, I have not been in a huge crowd, but if I'm in a huge crowd, I might wear it. If I'm walking around, you know, on like a trail or downtown or something though, like there's, there's really no reason that person has to be like yelling in my face for me, for me to worry about uh, transmission at that point. I mean, I, I think we talked with Matt at one point, like a, uh, a couple months back about like the safety of being outside. Uh, it's huge. Like it's at, so, so huge. I, I think in his case, he was going to a football match. That's right. Football. So uh, I think, yeah, the, the best description of it too that I've uh, continued to see is like, you can think about it as like food coloring in a container of water. Like if you have a glass of water, let's say that's a tight space or even like, a, like I don't know, a liter jar like this. Um, for our listeners, that doesn't help, but I essentially have a bell jar 
that I drink water from that is about 800 mils. It's like if I put a single droplet of food coloring in there, it's going to change color pretty significantly. But if I go to my local pond uh, and I put a droplet of food coloring in there, nothing will happen. You will watch it disperse nearly instantaneously. And it's the right. same basic principle. It's all, it's all about Brownian motion and diffusion to not get hyper-technical. Uh, regarding the tangent here, though, I just wanted to provide like a, a, a scenario for you to reply to chat about ignoring stay-at-home orders, quote-unquote. That's all uh, the rationale behind oh. this topic. <laughs> oh, I didn't see that. Yeah, one second. Uh, Mr. Scott's hobby is continuing to ignore stay-at-home orders. I haven't had those in so long. Like, that's unfortunate. That's the big problem, uh, you know, overall is like the actual implementation from location to location is, is very different. But as far as stay-at-home orders go, uh, we haven't had them in un you know nearly a year. But I also live in a desolate and barren landscape as far as human population is concerned. So I'm able to avoid human contact very, very easily. Um, yeah, I don't think I've been around, except for my workspace, which my workspace lifted their... Uh, requirements on masks so i am like one of two people out of 20 who are uh, wearing a mask at work every day so i'm already sort of fucked on my my exposure choices like things have been taken out of my hand on my personal safety to some degree and how ironic it is when like a few months ago we had someone in chat like uh calling you out for wearing a mask in your house yeah what can you do I I don't know. I, I just get annoyed by certain things like that. It's like, why, I, yeah. why why do people have to be shitty about things, huh? Yeah, I mean, this will probably, this will sort of be the end of my discussion on the mass, but it's just like, I hope that we have reached a point, and I know we haven't, so maybe this is stupid to say, but like, I would just like us to reach a point where like, if you see someone wearing a mask, it literally means nothing. It's the same as seeing someone wearing a hat. It's like I mean, this it should be that case. It like really should, yeah. Especially like when you have people out there that have like CF or cystic fibrosis, like like people pre-pandemic and obviously during uh, said pandemic, like people have been chastised for wearing masks in public and specifically in our community. Yeah, it's like, oh, why aren't you showing your face? And it's like, I've got two zits that I want to hide. No. <laughs> But that's also a benefit too. I did have, uh, I think I did have a zit that was like on my face near my chin, and I thought this bad boy gets to hide the whole time. Like, no need to, no need to stress or worry about this blemish upon my face. It will disappear before anyone has an opportunity to see it. Right. Don't have. But to it wear, is frustrating. Don't have to wear it's, lotion all over your face or sun, no, uh, sunscreen. Excuse me. Uh, I am putting sunscreen all over my face, though. I, I still have committed to my... I don't know if I brought up my skin care routine, but I've started a skin care routine, Neil. Are you a... Uh, oh, God, I can't think of the character's name, uh, but Christian Bale Beautiful. from American Psycho? Oh, no, I don't. I've never seen American Psycho nor read the book, and I'll get to it someday, but if he's got a skin care routine, I just hope it's not the same as mine. I wonder if when you finally get around to it, you start reading it and you're like, oh man, this guy does like everything I do. Oh, oh man. 
Wow, interesting. Wow, we share a lot of uh, a lot of characteristics. And then you start getting to the darker part of the of the uh, novel, and you're like, uh oh, uh oh, what, what's going on here? Right? Yeah, you don't. You hope you don't have too much in common with the uh, psycho killer, Keska say. Do you like uh, Huey Lewis? And the news? Uh, the musician. Wait, is it Huey Lewis that he's talking about? It, it, it's it's another it's another reference. Oh, it is the news. Fuck, that's that's how bad I am. By the way, yeah, I don't I don't know I don't know much Huey Lewis, but uh, I'm I'm sure I'd enjoy it. The only yeah the only music uh, I've been listening to is there. I'm trying to think if there's anything super current. I listen to Suf John Stevens' uh, Carrie and Lowell album for the first time yesterday and thought, wow, that's a real sad one, but I, I like it. Uh, it's, been, it's been probably five or six years of people needling me to listen to Suf John Stevens, and I listened to Illinois and said, that's not for me, and then Carrie and Lowell was recommended, and I enjoyed that album a lot. To toss in another tangent. Boom. Sorry, I was making some replies in chat. Um, I don't know if there's much else to go over at this point. I, I think uh, I think I've covered like all my video game talk. I don't know if I have any side stuff. Oh, I, I guess I could say real quickly, the one thing I have uh, started doing was I started refretting my acoustic guitar, and I immediately realized that's going to be way more time intensive without the correct tools for it. Mm. Um, I I so I bought I bought some like some files, which I have discovered are basically just like pieces of metal with sandpaper glued on top of the 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 said metal. So it's like I don't even know if I can use this to grind down the nickel in this case, the nickel material that the frets are made out of. So mm-hmm. it's like I don't know. It, it it's like trying to cut wood with a butter knife right now that's how things are going in on that end but that's pretty tough too yeah you don't want to ideally do that Mm-mm. but i once carved some wood with a hunting knife though and that was a terrible time did you make like, a bear no no i didn't make a bear i was just like sharpening i this was a long time ago i was just sharpening a long stick into sort of a rudimentary spear uh it was fun but worst, absolutely worst knife to choose for the job um, because this was like a really thin blade, almost like skinning knife. Terrible uh, for wood. Absolutely horrible for wood. Do you, do, you, do you collect knives now, Scott? No, this knife was like a gift from quite a while ago. And I was like, I don't know what else to do with it because I'm certainly not skinning anything. Do you happen to uh, have this? I do collect knives, I guess. I have three knives. Mm, okay. Uh, do, do you once, happen to have business cards? One's a utility cards? knife. Yeah, I know. I Am, uh, am I uh, aligning with the American Psycho character too closely? I, I've got one knife that's definitely like sort of a survivalist camping knife. I've got a utility knife for work that I use. And then I have the skinning knife, which was a gift. So I do not collect knives yet. But I'll probably add a machete to my collection at some point in time because that would be fun. I'm just saying, I I have like one kit. I mean, if we're if we're including kitchen, uh, kitchen tools, no. kitchen no. cutlery, then then I don't collect. I don't have any knives, Scott. Uh, I have a, I have 
the bare minimum of kitchen knives to get by in a kitchen for, you know, sort of every function you need. A nice bread knife, a nice chef's knife, a santoku knife, and uh, like a paring knife. Do you, do you think the santoku knife actually has a, a big enough difference it. from the kitchen knife? Nope. Yeah. You can I have one or the in other, two basically. Knives. Yeah, I invested in two nice santoku knives, and I like the uh, the much, much cheaper, like, nice quality kitchen knife instead wait really kitchen knife way better yep is it because are you a push cutter i'm a rocker oh okay all right that makes sense then yeah and i really like that method it's super fast and quite accurate i also have a mandolin slicer too so if i need like a super precise thin slice now mandolin i've uh so i don't collect knives i collect blades (laughs) to be more general do you have any swords no swords. I would never own a sword for any reason. I don't know. When you're cutting up people, it tends to work a little better. Bludgeoning I'm not people. cutting up. I'm not cutting up people though. I uh, I would prefer to never ever cut a person. Neil. So I mean, it, it's a pretty good hobby. Uh, it's what I do in my part time. Tuna dissec- dissecting knife. That's got to be huge if we're talking like the like the big classic tunas. Big tuna. And in this case, we're referring to a human. No, uh, I, I'm actually surprised you have that many knives, though, like uh, kitchen knives, because like as someone that I, I, I think cooking is one of my hobbies, but I, I only have a kitchen knife, uh, a santoku, and I, I got one with the, in- uh, the intention of replacing the other, so to speak, which it turned out not like, I mean, I'm also kind of a cheapskate when it comes to things in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whereas, I I think like having a good bread knife obviously would be good, but I I don't. A good bake, bread knife is nice. Yeah, I, I don't bake enough bread to really I think need it, but that would also work for things like cakes and such. I take it. Absolutely, yeah. And you're a tiramisu king. Yeah, I mean they always look good when it it looks great when it's in the pan, but it never survives the plating. It's tough. So, at least it tastes good, I guess. I, I think we've had another day of uh, dodging talking about Omori's ending. Oh, shit. We did, didn't we? We'll have to do it another time. I won't forget. It was a fairly impactful game for me. I will. I think the one thing I'll say is a little bit of pushback where you said, like, a fairly, like, predictable or unsurprising story. I will uh, argue or posit that I, a rube, a simpleton, did not exactly see where it was going. Wait, I, I don't know if I said it was predictable, at least not in the notion of the actual... I Because like, I, I didn't piece things together until it was all thrown out in front Laid of out. me. Like, I, I think what I, I might have uh, meant to say if I did not construe it properly was that, like, looking back at everything, it makes way too much sense to... to to feel like uh you know it, it makes too much sense for me to think that no one else could have figured it out if that makes sense it's like watching mm-hmm. okay. shutter island or uh or um name any m night Shyamalan movie like we i should have seen the signs not mm-hmm. no pun intended there um well but, it would only be a pun if you said i should have seen signs oh uh, yeah true uh uh I, I don't necessarily think, though, that 
I mean, I I think a lot of the, the a lot of the story beats do kind of come as predictable once you get through the first one, like conquering your fears and whatnot. Yeah, but okay. I mean, I I think that's intended, so to speak. Uh, I don't know. We'll we'll talk about it another time, I guess. So, Sounds good. That uh, so I think that's it for the podcast, guys. Thanks for watching. Uh, thanks for listening yeah, uh thanks. we'll start posting those episodes online episode soon. two is online i need to put Ooh. three up sometime soon and uh you know what i should have a command on where you can find it but essentially podbean should be doing most of the heavy lifting for us it should be on apple Podcasts. it should be on audible it should be on spotify and any of your major places so tangential tangential advisory podcast or Tapcast for short i'm sorry uh rutgers but we're taking it from you there i think it's rutgers who cares? Yeah, it doesn't matter. They're not. It's not active anymore. Take that, losers. So have a great week, everybody. Until next week. See ya.